What's going on, everyone? This is George Khalife. We're back with another episode of Let's Grab Coffee. I'm joined today by a good friend, Rachel David. She, she already has the coffee, too. I have my coffee. <laughs> Iced coffee. Iced coffee in the morning. That's good on summer days. Pin straws. Love Trying that. to like go the eco-friendly route. <laughs> so Rachel is the founder and CEO of Hashtag Communications. She's repping the hashtag right behind her, so I love that. Um, Hashtag Communications is an influencer marketing company. It helps huge clients like Google, Manulife, Bell get attention in a day of modern era of marketing. So that's kind of the space that uh, Rachel is just all over. She's also a content creator on YouTube. So I'm super excited to talk to her today about marketing, influencers, social media, as it relates to 2019 and beyond. Thanks again for doing this, Rachel. I appreciate you. Yeah, of course. Thank you so much. It's funny when you say uh, YouTube because it is so interesting. I would almost now, there's a lot more people who are saying a LinkedIn creator rather than YouTube creator, but it's funny how you go through different iterations as algorithms change and you change as a person. And all of a sudden, you know, you might do well on YouTube and then you, you know, your identity shifts and you work for a different platform. So it's funny, but I would almost say now LinkedIn is trying to post on yeah more even than YouTube. yeah that's actually very true and and i love that kind of quick segue because that's something i wanted to ask is uh, Mm -hmm. funny enough like and i know you're active on pretty much all platforms you're you're really good at repurposing content Uh, i'm obviously big on on linkedin as well and i've seen you post a lot of videos so for you like how how do you stay one kind of constant with all this change that happens and how do you you're able to repurpose these kinds of content pieces across Mm -hmm. like instagram youtube like, do you find that hard? What's what's your kind of model to do that? I mean, I think it's like a super simple strategy that I call like the, it's like a, a pyramid strategy, <laughs> not a pyramid scheme, guys, but a pyramid strategy. So you make one piece of hero content and then you cut it down to format properly for the different platforms. Um, you know, we had a little conversation before to the viewers, a little inside scoop, but we were like, oh, do we film this? It's like, you know, you might as well. If you're going to record the audio, record the video, take that video, have a quick one minute clip for Instagram, a 30 second clip for for Twitter, um, maybe a longer three and a half minute clip for Facebook and, and an under 10 minute clip for LinkedIn, you know? So I think that it's annoying, but people don't realize it's actually not the recording part that is the most time consuming. It's everything after, it's all the distribution and the editing. Um, so that's why when you come up with an idea of a show, uh, I always say like maybe, I think like the, a podcast is the best example because you can shoot for, you know, an hour and out of that, you've got some great nuggets, you know? And, and it, I mean, it's very similar to if you were going to go and shoot a 15 minute video, a conversation, why do a 15 minute one when you can do an hour one, you know, uh, especially now with how YouTube is working. If you do a longer video over 10 minutes, you can add more mid roll ads, right? And then you can then up your revenue a lot of Yeah. So I mean, for me, it's just come up with one great concept, a little bit more long form and cut it down for each platform. Yeah, that's so true. And when you say that, like the podcast example, it resonates very well, because that's kind of the way I'll do it, right? Like I'll put the full audio but even from this, like I'm going to take probably like a one minute or two minute segment, repost yep. on LinkedIn. You can take a 30 second segment, post on Instagram. Yep. And it's, it's good visibility for, for us both, I think. But and, and you said something that, that, that was really interesting is that it stands out more. Like people will actually digest the content a bit better when it's video versus just audio. Yeah, I can't remember what it was, like the retention rate. It was like uh, people can remember 
I can't remember. It was like three numbers are coming. It's either a 30, a 60, or a 90. But I think I want to say it was 33% or something. Don't quote me on this. Maybe somebody can let us know in the comments below wherever you are watching. But I'm like, there is a certain percentage rate of people's attention and how much more information they retain when they watch it on video. So as much as it's annoying sometimes to film videos, you know, like even this morning, I'm like, oh God, I have to do my hair. You ever see my hair slick back? I'm having like a busy day. But, you know, you still make it go an extra like few minutes to make it happen. You know, stick on the fake lashes if you need to, because it's so much more effective. People really do feel and digest the information better. When was your ticket point? Like, when did you get into this whole game? Did you always know you wanted to be in marketing? I feel like obviously you have a lot of passion for it. I, I hear the fuel, but I'm just trying to see like, when was this? You know, I've been really reflecting on my life quite a bit lately. It was my uh, 29th birthday, you know, approaching 30. There's a lot of things that are, are swimming through my mind because <clears throat> it's, it's weird as you, get deeper into your professional career skills that you didn't know that you had that were instinctual to you you start you just think everybody has that like I tell this story of when I was let go from this job I always loved um and I went from like this high high to this low low and I'm going to uh the employment services company and they're asking me about my skill set and, you know, I actually talked about this on the True Fan. I know we're both mutual friends with the True Fan guys. I was talking to Scott about this. And he was like, well, you know, did you, what, he was like, what, did you, like, know that you had these skill sets to, like, do other things? And to be honest, I was like, no, I, I didn't think I had any. Um, and so now reflecting back, I think I just didn't acknowledge that I could instinctually know how to do certain things, be it even knowing how to, when's the right timing to follow up with a client? How do you communicate with that client? Like there's so much involved in my industry, which is influence marketing. It's so instinctual. And the reason why people call me to do what I do is because of the perspective, right? If I'm flying around the world with these YouTubers, I was a YouTuber. I worked in entertainment for 10 years. Um, there's a certain perspective that you have and a certain trust and leverage you have with also other creators. The communication style is so much easier. So I'm like a glorified consultant for brands and I have a team that helps me execute that. Now you can't really go to school for that. That's not something that I um, would have ever thought, Oh, uh, that would be my job. Um, but looking back and I got this like flashback the other day, uh, because I was asked to give a workshop on basically the, like the personal branding wheel, you know, and I actually just created a um, top 10 list of the top 10 most effective ways um, to build a personal online brand. And if you do want it, where did I put it? Oh, you know what? That's a shameless plug. But if you actually do want it, cause mm -hmm. I just wrote it like last week, um, I did put it on my Instagram, which yeah. if you're listening, it's just great. Right. Uh, it's, Rachel, my first name, last name's David, R-A-C-H-E-L-D-A-V-I-D. In the Lincoln bio, there's like a link tree link. And the first one is a PDF. So you can download this best practices guide because people have been asking me for that for a long time. And I was like, you know what? I was that weird kid when I was like 10. And I started like going in and being on theater shows. And I was in the newspaper clipping, like the newspaper. I would literally create a scrapbook of the things that I did. Like I spent 
a very significant amount of time building my port. It was like Facebook before Facebook. Oh, geez, all my right. <laughs> front page of this dressed up as a chicken, you know, because I was in Honk the Musical. <laughs> <laughs> this was all, and I was very, very just, how do you create the personal brand that, that sort of, to be honest, it's perceived value, but mm. that perceived value actually does translate into dollars. So as much people go, oh yeah, why do you want to post all this stuff? It's like, because it's awareness at the end of the day, right? So yeah, I feel like I was kind of in a weird way. No, I didn't like study marketing. I got let go from my first marketing job ever. So like marketing was not in the plan, but I think naturally I do have that brain. Yeah, well, it's, it's so interesting too. I was, I was listening to your TEDx talk, loved it by the way. Uh, and one of the things you were saying is very true. Like I always knew this, but it's almost like I didn't really think about it much in the sense that you were saying, look, like when, when companies are dealing with these influencers to market their products or services, this whole thing is so fragmented. Like there isn't a regulatory body that determines fees, determines how you should do stuff. So for you, like going into this, right, yeah. especially uh, after you sort of transitioned from your first job to starting your own agency, how did you want to create more of a, a formalized process around this? Like how were you pitching it to the Googles of the world and saying, listen, I can kind of be your, your in-between and I'll help you execute this properly. Well, I think there was a few things that happened. Luckily, I was one of the first to get into it. So because I used to be in broadcasting before, I started building up my network uh, pretty much since 2005. I was around 15. I, I was starting to interview wow. people for Shaw in Vancouver. And then, you know, when you're literally interviewing sort of like A, B, C, D list celebrities, you build up this network and it doesn't even matter if it's an influencer. Like a lot of celebrities are influencers too now because they're putting out content, but you know, you get to know every gatekeeper, you start understanding how the spider web works. So by the time I was about 25 and I had a YouTube channel, my YouTube channel was just like invite over people and like play games and have drinks and just have fun. And it was like, I was kind of going through a midlife crisis, breakup, layoff. I didn't know what to do. So I was like, I just, you know, I've been in TV for so long. I need to learn what this YouTube world's about. Um, so this was 2014, 15, yeah. which was like a great time to be learning because again, influencer marketing wasn't really built up at that point. Um, as far as like really these YouTubers getting paid, like they were starting to, uh, it was either they were getting paid ex stupid amounts of money because all the advertisers were like comparing it to, to television rates. Um, or nothing. So it was a really good time to get in. And the reason why I even got into it was because my YouTube channel featured, be it NBA players or, uh, you know, like looking back, I was in the car with my friends and they were talking about Letter Kenny. And I was like, oh, yeah, Michelle, Michelle was on that. Or like they're talking about Trailer Park Boys. I was like, oh, yeah, Jonathan Torrance was over. And like this was just my life day in, day out of just having fun. Uh, and I, I'd get them to do weird things. Like I remember I invited over Carl Wolf and he sings the Africa song. Like it's going to take a lot to drive you away. And I was like, Africa. Okay. I was like, does anyone have two tiger outfits? And some guys like, yeah, I have two life-size tiger outfits. I was like, great, Carl, you're going to dress up in a car in a tiger outfit. And I'm going to dress up in one. I'm going to test your African knowledge. I'm going to reenact your music video. It was a year of fun. But what that actually did, and this is why I recommend to anybody listening, if you have the ability to take some time to just experiment and play and do really what your heart desires. You know, I was in broadcasting before. I never was allowed necessarily to venture too off the, the, the path that I was supposed to and the parameters I was supposed to stay in, you know. But in this scenario, I was like, well, Rachel, you know, you're kind of 
left out to dry, what do you want to do? And that's where I just followed my heart. And I think if you can spend some time following truly what your heart desires, like really just what would you do if you didn't make any money? I made zero money for six months. And what would you do? And if you can figure that one out, it, you don't even have to know exactly what the thing is, but something that you just like to spend your time doing. That can even be nightclubs. Who knows? You Maybe you should be the biggest nightclub owner. It doesn't matter. You know, who are people to judge? You know, you like drinking. All right, well, go and work. Maybe, maybe start an alcohol brand, you know? So it's okay. It's even if it seems unconventional, it's okay. So, um, yeah, in the end, I ended up knowing all these YouTubers. They were on my channel. And that's when I started getting calls from brands because obviously being friends with gatekeepers my whole life in PR and whatnot, they just transitioned to advertising agencies. Some were put in positions where they're like, oh, yeah, now I'm representing the Chevrolet um, account for McCann, which is a big agency. Rachel, can you help us with this? We see that you know this person. Can you put this together? And I noticed that as I was starting to do these campaigns, I was able to handle the influencers with certain delicacy because um, I, I understood them and also the struggles they went through, the way that if they promote something, how it's going to affect their brand, um, if it's going to be a positive or negative, if it even falls in line with the right tone that they normally put their content out with. It's really like a specialized hands-on service. And at the end of the day, um, I think the reason why these bigger and bigger brands are coming to me is because at the end of the day, you can't really measure that cool factor as well. Yeah. Or if somebody is an absolute douchebag, you better believe I go to VidCon, I go to playlists, I go to all these places and I'm in every room and they know that. But then there's some new YouTubers that don't know, know that or what I do. And I prefer even sometimes if they don't and I really get to see what's going on and you better believe I've seen some incidences where I just go, Oh yep. I would not hand $10,000 over to you and let you speak on behalf of this brand because we will most likely fall into a scandal. If not in a month, maybe a year. Um, and that's, that's something that for big brands who need to mitigate that risk, it comes in handy. Um, I also think there's a lot of these platforms online where, yes, I see the purpose of it to attach you and be able to have easy access to an influencer and quickly do like a very transactional deal. That's not maybe some big brands are doing that at that level um, and maybe they have an in-house specialist. But if they don't then they want to outsource that. Even if they're an agency, they're like, Rachel, can you help us do that? Because again, we need the perspective. Just because somebody has a certain following doesn't mean that they're following, um, that they're actual inf actually influential. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like there's a lot of followings out there, but what do they stand for? If they are at a party, you know, do they give off weird vibes? That's like, there's a lot of things to consider. Right. So how does, uh, how, how, how do you measure that today? I think that's the biggest puzzle piece that, um, that we will, I don't know if we'll ever, ever truly be able to solve that, to be honest. It's also difficult, right? Because like, I think a lot of people's credibility now, especially like millennials or even Gen Z, for example, they'll look at your, your Instagram follow and be like, oh, that's almost the first mark of credibility now. You know, they'll yeah. check you out and be like, oh shit, like Rachel's got X amount, all right, I got you. But for you, you're going like a level deeper and you're saying, okay, that's great. Let me look at actual engagement let me look at comments let me look at what you do outside of the platform maybe there's something we're not seeing but even like history and perspective when you're around it especially in canada and you have been just 
around this day in, day out for years. It's like, I look at, there's some people that I look at and they don't necessarily, even maybe they have like 40,000 followers, but like, you know, this girl can get a lot of people out because she almost has like a cult following of, of, but people listen to her and they respect her, you know, respect and a following are two completely different things and respect. Well, that's more expensive. So again, you only really know that if you also have the perspective. Um, so it's, it's kind of funny because when you look at the influencer marketing world, it's all new. Everything's being created as we speak. Uh, and therefore there's different facets to it. You know, there is technology platforms that I think are really important. Um, you know, there's, there's influencer agencies that will help you manage the campaign. Um, it depends on how specialized you really, really want to go for me. I'm unbiased. I use all the tools. I work with every MCN. I, I just wanted to be like, okay, brand, how do we get you the best campaign for your brand? That's it's, it's completely working on the brand side to then work with all the tools that are in front of me. Um, and you know, I'm lucky enough to have really good relationships with the different MCNs and, um, and I really love a lot of the people that work there. You know, I think there's a lot of different opinions on, on, um, be it PR companies doing influencer marketing and how MCNs also manage the influencers. There's a, there's, you know, all different opinions on, on that. For me, they're just tools that I need to work with, you know? And obviously, like you've worked with a lot of influencers, you've built a lot of influence yourself, but also a lot of respect given your credibility in that space. And one question I wanted to ask, and I'm sure a lot of people are thinking about it, is like, how do you, how does one become an influencer from what you've learned? And if someone did want to build that personal brand to maybe get on that level or to do that kind of kind of work, how yeah. like how, how does one maybe there are best practices patterns you've seen? But I'm yeah. just kind of curious because you're you're in that space. Well, another great segue for my PDF, but <laughs> if, I were, if I was to tell you, because truly like it breaks it down and it's because I have to repeat it all the time. But mm-hmm. if I were to give you like a couple nuggets that I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, okay, like this is maybe something. So imagine you were like just starting. You're like, okay, I have no clue. I need to start what platform. Understanding where your talent even lies is number one. You know, take a look at yourself. Are you a good writer? Are you, do you have a great voice? You good on camera? You know, what is the thing? Like, what's your best form of communication? Um, and where does it translate the best? Um, that first and foremost, super important. Uh, for me coming from a TV background, sometimes I don't like going and recording things, but again, it's probably my strength is, is video. Um, I would much prefer, but, and you know what? I noticed even when I just did audio podcasts, I got really flustered. I I started really um, judging things that I was saying. I was like, oh, do I sound smart enough? And it was just, it was awful. So uh, yeah, video for some reason is, is my strength. So think about what your strength is Uh, again. And also looking at like what you actually are talented at. So if that is communicating, cool. If it's taking beautiful photos, Okay, cool. Keep doing that. If it's um, cinematography, like whatever that is, literally start zeroing in on what you you want to do, but also what are you naturally talented at? And then you have to kind of marry the two. The second thing, and this is something that I was at a uh, entrepreneur organization um, uh, kind of like workshop, 
And so myself, along with some fellow entrepreneurs, were doing workshops, but one, I got to sit in on one, and it was a guy named Clay Hebert, and he mentioned this thing that has stuck with me forever, and it was talking about how there's look at me content and learn from me content, and so, and this makes so much sense. You go on Instagram, it's all like, you can get quick likes with look at me content, and that's, that doesn't just mean like, you know, big booty models on Instagram, it also means like, you know, the fast cars, the crazy stunts, you know, things that are shocking, you know, you can definitely get the engagement there. That being said, that's not really building your legacy. If you really want to build a legacy, I think that if you go more the route of learn from me content, I mean, people do need to keep watching that. That's evergreen content that, you know, you're, you're teaching someone how to use Photoshop. It's like, well, you better believe a person not going to just watch that once. They might watch that two, three, four times. And especially if you are adding value, then you take it like for what I do, it's high, high value, high impact. I sit down, I tell a story about a lesson that I learned. Um, and for me, it's about, I want the person on the other end to feel like I just gave them a hug. Like that is my purpose. I'm like, I'm here. I'm your comfort. It's scary. We're entrepreneurs. We feel stripped of everything. We don't know where we're going or heading, but somehow we keep it together. It's like, I'm here to hug you. I'm here to let you know you're not alone. That's my purpose on LinkedIn. That's my purpose with all the content that I put out. And I think figuring out what your purpose is will also be an amazing and keep in mind, it's taken me forever to figure out what that purpose was. Okay. I started making content over like four or five years ago and only like in December because I got this book called You Are a Message and it was just short little, um, it was from my sister. It was, it's an amazing book. It's just short little things about marketing and just like the way the world, it, it's like philosophical, um, little quotes. And I'm like, how much value is this? It's short. It's sweet. It's digestible. I feel mm -hmm. like I got something out of it. You yeah. know, it felt like healthy fast food. You know what I mean? Like as if I went to like fresh and took right. cake. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, how do I make that in like video content? So gotcha. yeah, yeah. Like you know, part of what you're saying too. I, I run into a lot of people who, and I'm sure you get this, but they're like, listen, man. The reason I don't want to create a personal brand is I don't want to put myself out there. Right, you'll always find different kinds of people. Like, I don't want to put myself out there. Or yeah. What am I going to talk about? Especially if you're younger. Like, I faced this yeah. a lot earlier in my career too. Like, who are you to talk about X, Y, Z? And and so you kind of face these challenges. What advice would you give to some people who are maybe younger on the scale, um, kind of twenty to, to thirty, but like looking to really start getting there, but just not 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 really sure where to start. That's so valid that you asked that, and I'm actually kind of mad at myself for not bringing that up because that being said. I couldn't give advice two years ago. It would, it, I also couldn't have given it while I was going through it. Like I'm still going through it. Like every day there's a new challenge, but at least now I have some experience. Um, so I think as soon as you ha take an authoritative or, you know, an advice position, you need to be able to back it up with experience. Um, that being said, I think that there's a lot of, that's why I'm like, first and foremost, you've got to figure out what that thing is that you're good at and work on that craft for a while. If that is, oh, I'm, I really like photography and I like traveling. Okay. 
well, maybe you start off in Toronto. What are some of the best places to photograph um, or like they feel like vacation spots in Toronto? Cool. Okay. Now you pitch that to the tourism board now to like maybe in, in Newfoundland. So not, not even that far, but like, you know, another or Montreal, you do it in Montreal. Then, you know, you have now this, this repertoire of two different places that you've taken photography of. Now you might want to pitch it to a place in Mexico at the tourism board. Okay. Now you have that. Now, as you start building this content and your brand and your identity, it's your next step could be, okay, now I want to create a course. I want to teach people how do they actually go from point A to Z to making this their full-time job. Oh, maybe now I want to make more content, which is telling people some of the things I learned. How, what's the best camera to use for, you know, a wide shot? What is the best one? What's the best macro lens out there? You know, like there's, there's, you can't really go there until you do the first step. So I would say again, like for somebody who's just starting again, it's, it's so cliche, but like follow where you feel that feeling of, Oh, I, I want to be doing this anyways, as just like for fun, even say that's gaming. I was at a sponsorship uh, conference the other day and they were like, Oh yeah, no, we're paying this kid like $180,000 to consult us on gaming because like they don't understand it. So you know what I'm telling you, we're in a world where it's like, if you can, if you're a young person you and you, I can just explain to you that absolutely anything truly you want to do right now and that you're passionate about, frick, you can do it. Take the tally, the tally, the YouTuber who got censored all over YouTube all the time. But he like, you know, he he likes porn and he likes doing things that are a little bit, you know, out the box and stunt. He just made his own streaming site and and him, you know, taking that and making it his own. And then he got his girlfriend or whatever to streak across the soccer field, the FIFA World Cup or whatever that was. And then what that resulted in, it was like it resulted in, I believe, an, an additional $10 million in I, I believe monthly subscriptions that will be coming in. So, so like I'm telling you, you're young. What the heck really like gets that fire burning that you really enjoy? Um, and follow that because this this world that we're in now is just like it. I can't even believe it. It's like the opportunities around are like endless. Yeah, no, hundred percent. I echo that a lot. I actually resonated with a lot of things you said, even like from podcasting. Like now you're seeing, obviously, everybody's trying to get in the game, but like one thing I always say is like, you also have to be patient with it. You know, like when I started this three years ago, relatively nobody wanted to even come on the show in the beginning, you know, like nobody wanted to be your first. And it, it's like, it, it takes time to build that cred, to build your voice. But to your, I love that last point that you made was it's like, find something you just enjoy doing. Don't think really about, you know, monetizing it first or doing it like one hit wonder, you know, that one video that's going to get a million views. If you think of it that way, it, it's kind of too short ended. So if yeah. you enjoy doing it, eventually you're going to build traction. But because you enjoy it, you'll kind of do it over the long run, regardless and of hurdles. Yes, you'll have the longevity. You'll be able to weather the storms because there's a lot of storms that will happen. I tell the story that it took me six months to make back my salary from the job that I got let go from. Um, but that was because I started putting out YouTube content with no no uh, thought that I was ever going to make money off of it. Um, it was just how do I grow this audience but naturally, because I was consistent, I was putting out three videos a week. I was shooting, editing, learning everything, had a light. Um, then I got a call from CBC and they said, Rachel, we have some fiscal budget that we have to use up, which means like they need to use up some money that they have um, and they have to spend it by a certain amount of time. And they were like, you know, we, we've been watching your content. 
would you like to create a comedy series? And because I'd been working at figuring out how to edit, how to light, how to shoot, how to write, how to be on camera, all those things, right? I didn't actually have to hire anybody, like maybe some some small little hands here and there to help, um, but they gave me a budget for an entire production. And that was, to be honest, it was like almost $70,000. And that was in two weeks to create this series. And it completely, for the rest of my life, I will say that's what really gave me wings. But again, I had to have the confidence to say, all right, I'm going to take this year. And couldn't have predicted that happening, but because that happened, then, you know, then a brand deal came in and then this, and then I was able to invest that money in building the business and, and like one thing led to another, but that's why I'm also really passionate about like government funding and grants. Like I explained this in the Tech Talk. I'm like, not only did the advertising industry change, but the entertainment industry changed as well. And like, as a girl who, who was born to a family of artists, it's like, well, I grew up and I was a musical theater kid. There was always grants. There was bursaries for us. Um, now, what I do is quite similar when I'm working with these creators. A lot of them are making skits. They're singing. It's like, where are the government grants for these people? Because not only are they good at that, they're pretty entrepreneurial because they know how to do a lot of different things. Um, obviously, if they're editing and, and all those things. So you know, CBC providing me that opportunity because that's a crown company. They're government funded. They have a mandate to invest in digital creators of the future. The fact that they did that for me, that helped me get my feet on the ground. So where are the new regulatory bodies and where are the, are the government grants being funneled? They, there needs to be more funds that are funneled to these creators because they are the dancers, they are the singers, they are they're the people who want to create films. They're just starting on YouTube, so there needs to be more of a funneling system there. Um, yeah, that's just a little side note. <laughs> yeah, that's very true. I mean, you, like you, you almost need a bit of resources to just to get kind of kickstarted. And it's funny, like you see it for for tech startups all the time. I mean, there's no shortage of capital there. It's just funny that when it comes yeah. to content creation, it's just like a silo. Like there's nobody paying any attention to it. Yeah. Where the funny thing is, is it's like these YouTubers are businesses, like because they have the attention, they have the audience, they have the ability to sell. It's like I was just um, mentoring a YouTuber and it was like I looked at him. I was like, you do this one thing. You're going to increase. You'll literally make one hundred thousand dollars probably your first month. And she was like, oh, yeah, it's like but and some but I know that because a lot of YouTubers are doing that, you know, so um, I, I think it's. It's as soon as, as these creators really start, I, I don't think it's like noticing it right at the beginning. Cause again, you've got to like build that audience and not, I don't think you should be solely driven by money unless your content is money driven content, um, teaching people about finance. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think the actual makeup of a YouTuber, like just who they are as people, like you look at someone like Mr. Beast, it's like, Oh, he's a businessman, you know, look at even juke squad, you know, who's doing all these 24 hour challenges. You know, I sat down with Jack a couple years ago, a playlist, and I will never forget what an interesting business brain he has. You know, now we've sat on a few panels together. I'm just like, from the outside, you look at this guy who's like swimming in the water with crocodiles, but like, but, oh, he's, 
smart, you know, and a lot of these YouTubers are very, very smart. So it's funny that, like you said, there's all this investment money going towards these businesses, but they know how, but these YouTubers do have a business. Why aren't more people investing also in YouTube channels? Like they would crush it. I should do that. You know, one thing I wanted to ask you too is like, how do you, how do you find inspiration for your stuff? Like where, where does your creative creativity come from? Is it stuff you kind of come across? Is it, do you have a system for it? Um, I feel like I'm way more stream of consciousness. Like I've never done anything right, to be honest, as far <laughs> as the content. Like I know the best practices. I know how these things are supposed to work. Do, am I, do I do that? Like a lot of YouTubers would say like, Rachel, you're like an indie artist. You just make what you want you're not super consistent. It's like, I'll be like, Oh, I want to do a vlog. Oh, I want to do this because I think it's interesting. And it's like my creativity, right? Um, my business is running the company hashtag. And, you know, we have a remote staff of probably about 10 day to day, but then we have 50 people on payroll. It's like, there's a lot of things that are in my brain. That isn't me making videos. My videos are just my creative outlet to express myself however, which way I want. Um, But I just found now I'm in a stage where I really enjoy just sitting in front of a camera and be it being vulnerable or just having very like, how do I actually feel? Like, and, and focused on the truth, not necessarily the smoke and mirrors. Um, Like I was talking to a few friends the other day about when someone goes like, how are you doing? Um, people are just like, good, but it's like, not just saying that you're good. Like really being like, this is how I feel. Um, and it could be something I've got to work through. It might be something that I, that I did work through to give perspective to other people. But, um, I think I'm just in a place now where I'm like kind of unapologetic for the person I am. I'm, I am truly sounds kind of strange to say but I think more women do have to say how proud they are of themselves like I'm really proud of myself for all the shit and being so low that feel in a place where I can feel happiness and I have good people around me that that love me it's like oh I'm it's a nice feeling to be in right yeah so so now my creativity is just like it's like I said a stream of consciousness whatever I feel that maybe I need to put out into the world (laughs) Yeah, I, I share I share the same value as well. Like I'm more of, of what you're saying, that kind of type is like if I'm feeling really inspired today or I really want to create content, I'll put it out. But I'm not I'm not the type like I'll force myself Monday two p.m. to put out a vlog yeah. just because I have to. Yeah. Um, but again, everybody has their their cup of tea. So so you brought up obviously like more more female entrepreneurs need to be uh, kind of proud of themselves. And one thing about your agency, I know that there's a lot of women entrepreneurs with you, and uh, you know being successful in your, yourself. I thought maybe you could kind of share some. Uh, some lessons learned along the way for for someone listening again who's maybe in the same predicament but like really looking to make a crack either with their own venture or maybe with a startup or a corporate whatever the case be to a woman yeah specifically yeah in my community yeah um would you say my community is your audience mainly females i don't like they're a split but but i know that you know there's obviously um like i guess a good chunk of, uh, of women entrepreneurs who always ask me like you know I'd like to see more of, of that kind of side and, and get a better take on it. So just trying to give that perspective from you. Yeah. Well, I think the hardest thing about being a female entrepreneur is truly also mastering the personal life side of things, because for so long we were the homemaker for our husband to go bring in the money and 
those social norms still do kind of exist, but they don't, you know what I mean? It's like, right, they're yeah, they're obviously changing in that sense. And, but it's really hard because at, on another end, it's like, how does, how is that affecting desire? How is that right. affecting the, you know, masculine and feminine energy being able to attract, um, I think the relationship side of things for female entrepreneurs is probably, at least for me, I found one of the most interesting sides of my life because I really have not found what is the right thing. Um, business. I mean, I feel like, you know, there's, there's certain things as a woman that you do have to deal with that, that men don't. And one of the things I will say is there is loud and clear, still a boys club. And, um, you know, I have, and the only reason why I know this is, is also because I I do have a couple friends that are guys. Not all men are terrible, obviously, but I have a couple guy friends. And, uh, and you know, I remember saying, well, it seems like, you know, with all this Me Too stuff, like things are getting better because I've obviously experienced um, some bad things in my life. They're on my YouTube channel if you care to go and listen to those stories. Um and I remember talking to one of my best friends and he's like, Rachel, it's still like, you have to know, like, this is still really happening. And it's this like overt bro culture that I just can't relate to. And I'm not saying all men are like that. I'm saying that there's a lot of them, especially in the advertising industry that I work in, yeah. um, which makes things very hard when it comes to even like pitching. Majority of my clients are females, female executive producers. How many females are these high powered, again, because of just the way society has been like in those positions? There's a lot more men. I would say like from my day to day, from what I see, it's like 80% more guys that I have to go pitch for and like the 20% female. Now, am I, I personally, am I, I'm okay with that because my intention was never to be like, I need to have the biggest influencer agency in the world. If that was the case, I'd probably hire a, a fellow co-founder. That's a dude that was a big charmer and go hang out with the boys and drink beer and, you know, flirt with girls. It's like that truly exists. And I'm not going to sit, sit here and be like, oh, it doesn't because I, I see it every day. Um, that being said, there are more women that are getting into more higher power positions. And when they feel women are super instinctual, they follow their gut and with influence marketing, I do believe so much is your gut. And, um, and so for me, it's like, yes, it's a smaller market of women who are in these positions, but when I meet them, it's like, we really do connect. And I think it's like, it's also been very overwhelming for me because they have believed in me and, and to have that female support that's actually what needs to happen to move yeah. forward. Hence why 90% of the people that work for me are female. It's like, I need them to know. The next generation needs to know. And also to believe that that's okay and that relationships will change and that is okay as well. We're figuring it out. It's just the most interesting time to navigate. And I even find it sometimes being overwhelming for me, but... Um, I'm lucky again, it's like only surrounding myself with really pure, good people. And that's for any person who's about to get into business or runs a business, get rid of the ones that are sucking your energy or negative. It's like, you need those, those strong allies beside you. So right. yeah. no, I really appreciate that perspective. It's, it's true. Unfortunately true. I mean, even in banking, like, uh, you know, I obviously came from the finance world, but obviously it's, it's kind of still present there and, 
uh, although it's getting better, but you know, you can't kind of sit here and say it's completely uh, gone. And that's part of the reason why I want to interview more female entrepreneurs is to give, you know, people in my community who are women and looking to maybe venture into entrepreneurship, that perspective that they can relate better to. Because I do find, and that's, we, we had issues with this even in university where, you know, our student investment fund was predominantly men. And we just couldn't, like, we weren't able to recruit. And I think, well, obviously the, the premise is if, if, a, if a fund is comprised of like 99% men, I mean, it's not really encouraging for, for women to want to join. And so how do you, how do you kind of change that curveball? And it's, it's always um, interesting to, to tackle those kinds of challenges as well. But that's even going back to then why I communicate that whole look at me versus learn from me content. Yeah. Because, you know, when I speak to young women, it's, it's really scary because, yes, you're going to get so many likes from your body. That's just the way that it works. Like Instagram works. But being able to kind of break that, that's why me, it's like, you know, I can embrace, you know, that I have a really curvy body and like, you know, taking a nice photo. Yes, it will get engagement. But what am I actually showing up to talk about? You know, and and so not being ashamed of your looks being too good or too bad or whatever it is, that's a side, you know, what is it that you actually stand for and are communicating? And for me, being able to communicate more of the business content as soon as I could, I knew I would partly because there's a younger generation that is going to be listening to that and feeling, oh, yeah, like maybe I want to be like that or that is a potential I could. And and it's it kind of all starts somewhere, you know? So we're just, it's like you said, you know, it, it, it there was, wasn't many women who showed up to be part of that club, but I also think that there's not, there's not a lot of examples that are really, uh, we just have more male examples, you know, it seems like uncharted territory. Like right now I'm getting into investment bank or not investment, investing in startups. So, yeah. you know, I know true fan, true fan, invested in a payment processing company, I have equity in various companies. And I'm like, well, I want to learn. And, and a, a guy came up to me uh, the other day, I got invited to this. It's like, only the, like, it's really weird. It, it, I, you get this like random email from this guy. And it's like a lot of the top entrepreneurs in Toronto go. And it's like, once every couple months and some really big entrepreneur speaks and you get put at a table and like you connect. Anyways, the guy at the table with me is an angel investor. And he looked at me and goes, you know, Canada has so much, so many amazing startups. And, you know, yes, women are becoming more powerful in their jobs, but, but only 20%, like it's still 80% males are, are investing like women they're just not getting into that space but it's there's such a good opportunity to build wealth and when he met me he was like can we talk because you're exactly like you kind of are getting into it you're investing in the people that you then I we there needs to be more of more people like you doing this now for me I'm scared I'm like well I don't know I it's like a walking around blind but Again, it's like, so that's why it's not like all men but are, are bad. I never want to paint that. My dad's amazing. My brother's amazing. But but like and there are some men that will go to you and be like, let me teach you. But it's, it's also the men's responsibility to take that on, you know, to yes. build more equality. And those who really do, oh, you know, that's, that's, that's a man right there. <laughs> that's awesome. I appreciate that. Um, and I definitely wanted to, to, I guess, pick your brain on this last point before we, we kind of end things. But 
like what's more general advice you give to people? I know obviously now they've heard your experience. They've heard different things you've gone through. A lot of resources that they're going to basically look at after this as a follow-up. But what's, what, what are some of those gems that you've learned? Maybe one, two or three pieces that you would share with people uh, more broadly. Like given everything you've learned, if you were to go back now, uh, given the things you've learned today, what would they be? Okay. Um, number one, just because somebody has more authority than you doesn't mean they know more. So if you think you're supposed to do something um, and you want to make something and you just really feel right about it, uh, and somebody who's just has more power than you puts it down doesn't mean that you're wrong. Um, and you cannot connect your self-worth to, to a job or a person who lets you go or any of that. And I think that was one of the biggest things that I had to learn just because I got let go from a job. It wasn't my work ethic, Rick, my work ethic rocks. <laughs> now I know that it was the person. It was some guy who just, you know, it's political. He's like, I'm, I'm, don't want you there anymore. I'm going to hire somebody else for there. And it's like, okay, sure. But that's not, that doesn't reflect on the capacity of how hard I can work. And so believing really like, I know like you're asking the general it's cliche, but you really do need to, to believe in yourself and not let just because somebody has more power to dictate where you're going or what you see. And that's so hard because we love to be able to look for people for advice and, and for that comfort. Cause it's so scary coming up with an idea yourself and being like, if it fails, it's all my fault. There's nobody. Yeah. So I'd say that's one. The other general one was, uh, and it kind of goes in line. It's really following your gut. And that's, it, it's like a simple one, but your gut doesn't lie. Like, you know, and every time I talk about it, every time I didn't trust my gut, I always freaking hit me. Um, oh, and actually I do have one last one because I did just put this video out just now. And it was a piece of advice, like literally just now I put it on LinkedIn. It was a piece of advice uh, that I got from actually an ex-boyfriend of mine. And he is one of the top poker players in the world. Wow. And you can imagine, um, the highs and lows he has to deal with. And I remember when things at the beginning would go wrong with the business and that were out of your control, be it a client's not happy or, you know, someone's not getting back to you. And it's just like, you don't know what to do. He'd always say, Rachel, are you playing the game right? And I'd be like, what do you mean? And I think so. Yeah. He's like, are you doing everything you can in your capacity? Are you trying your hardest? Are you, are you acting out? Like, are you acting in the, with the best interests at heart? Like, are you playing the game right? And I would be like, yeah, I am. He'd go, well, then you're going to win in the end. And it was time and time again, he proved to me just because maybe he lost a game. It didn't mean that he was going to lose the end game. Like the end score is what matters. Oh, so yeah. okay with some of the losses that you have now, rejection, not things not going through. I'm like, yeah, it doesn't matter. Like he's going, you know what I mean? So um, just make sure you're always playing the game right. A hundred percent. I love that. Best way to end this podcast. Thanks again, uh, Rach, for doing this. And uh, I'm sure so people can follow you on Instagram. I know LinkedIn, uh, YouTube, anywhere else uh, to, to, yeah. to maybe get some content. No, that's everything. Yeah, Rachel, David, easy. Two first names. <laughs> Love it. And best best episode 50 I can ask for. So thanks wow. again for doing this. Oh, my yeah, God. This is a good mark. This is halfway mark. I, I actually set a goal to do 100 podcasts by the end of this year. So I appreciate you. Uh, it means a lot for you to do the 50. Wow. Well, thank you for having me. I'm honored that you chose me. My, <laughs> My goodness. Pleasure. Thanks okay. again. Thank you. Have a good one.